Man, I'm excited to uh, share the word of the Lord with you today. I am Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, pastor Kyle is uh, our lead pastor. He's on sabbatical, but he's coming back in two weeks, right? Two weeks. All right. Sweet. I'm not sure he works here, but anyway, because um, he's never been here since I've been here. Actually, actually I, they hired me and like every week somebody's gone, right? And so I'm starting to get a little insecure about that. Um, and they don't want me around. Um, and so, but actually that's not the case. It's just been a busy, busy summer. Um, and we're excited about that. Um, so let's, let's just jump right into it this morning. Um, I want you to take a second and think of your happy place. Okay, so think of your happy place. Co- Pastor Corey is making motorcycle motions over there. But where is that for you? Like for some of you that might be Um, You know, just getting home and and curling up in the corner of your house and reading a book. For some of you, it's like the second I step into Cabela's, it's just like my happy place, right? Uh, For some people, it might be hanging out at a hot tub, which apparently we do our baptisms in. I put my hand in that the other day and I was like, oh, it's warm. This is great for those people. But um, uh, I don't know where your happy place is. Mine is probably... Um, Half Price Books. Does anybody know the store Half Price Books? It's like the great, there's like a chain of them down in the cities and it's the great, it's like they do books and, and movies and video games and board games, all these different things. And it's all like half price. So it's great. Um, I love that place. But uh, um, we, yes, our happy place is a, is places that we go where we just get to get to like relax and, and throw back an experience Um, just life, and it's good. And today, what I want to talk about is kind of the Bible's version of a happy place, okay? And maybe that's a little too um, too, uh, crass of a way to say it, but we're going to talk about uh, today, we're going to talk about the idea of temples in the Bible. Now, a lot of times when we read our Bible devotionally or things like that, we can read through Scripture, and usually we'll read a chapter or two, and we'll kind of key in on like, what is, I feel like the Lord's speaking to me through those things, and that is fantastic. But there's also a lot of power in tracing different themes in the Bible throughout the, like, throughout the entire story of Scripture. Because the, the Bible is a collection of different books, but it's telling one unified story about how God is engaging with his creation. And sometimes the biblical writers will take different themes and they'll weave it throughout and they'll, they'll build on that. And we can find a lot of truth by engaging with those, um, engaging with those themes. So today we're going to look at the theme of temples. Um, and so to start out, just to kind of give us a picture of that idea, I want us to, I'm going to read a scripture from um, the t- a time in the Bible when King Solomon, who built a temple for the Lord, he's dedicating it, okay? And then he prays over it, he dedicates it to the Lord, and the Lord shows up and speaks to Solomon about that. So let's have everybody stand, if you are able to, for the reading of the word today, just out of respect for, for God and his word. In Second Chronicles 7, 11 through 12, it says this. So Solomon finished the temple of the Lord as well as the royal palace. He completed everything he had planned to do in the construction of the temple and the palace. Then one night, the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as a place, as the place for making sacrifices. We're going to jump a couple verses down to verse 15. It says, My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I've chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. 
Lord, I just pray today as we look at this idea, God, Lord, you are moving in this service. God, the idea of, of you never giving up on us, of, of you giving us more chances is already present in this service. So God, today I pray that you take these ideas and, and drive them into our hearts. God, help us to hear what you want to say. God, and may you draw all of us to you in a deeper way. In your name, amen. Amen. So you can go ahead and be seated. Um, so yes, we're going to talk about temples today. And as we talk about temples... Um, uh, this sermon is going to have three parts, okay? Uh, the first part is, if we're going to talk about temples, we have to understand what a temple is. Um, and then we are going to take a, a little bit of time and we're going to look at the six temples in the Bible. And then we're going to take the knowledge that we gained from, from looking at those things and say, okay, how does this apply to my life, okay? So, so, you, so we are going to get to the what does this mean for me, and I think it's going to be an awesome point that God's going to drive home. But for us to, to get there, we have to have an understanding of what's, what a temple is and what's going on in the Bible when it talks about that, okay? So, so we're going to so go a little bit through uh, some teaching here, and then we're going to drive it home with some applications. So point, uh, part one today is this, is what is a temple, okay? Now, in ancient times, uh, to understand what they thought of a temple, okay, you have to understand how they saw all of reality. They saw reality in two different parts, in heaven and earth, okay? And heaven was God's space. This is where God existed, where his spirits existed, and where God dwelt, and all of this goodness and all this fullness. And on the other side, uh, we, have, we have the earth, which was human space. This is where all of humanity and physical creation dwelt. And we shouldn't, like, they didn't think of these as two separate places as like, as like, you know, North America and Africa or like earth and the moon. They didn't think of it like that. They thought of it as two sides of the same coin, okay? The two sides of reality was God's space and human space. And our human space, like, God could move freely between, but we were trapped on our own side, okay? Because we're not God, so we couldn't go over to his side, but... They believed this as well. They believed that there were sacred spots where heaven and earth overlapped. And those were called temples. Okay? Um, and so they believed that there were sacred spots where heaven and earth overlapped. And when you were standing in a temple, they believed that, of course, you were on earth. But they believed that once you crossed the threshold into the temple, you were literally standing in heaven space. It was like being on both sides of the coin at the same time. Uh, the best way I know to illustrate this is imagine if you put a uh, island right, you were standing on an island right in the middle of the Pacific Ocean that was on the international date line. Okay, so it's like boom, right here, here's the line, international date line. If you went and stood in the center of that island and went like this, you would simultaneously be in today and tomorrow while you're at one in one spot. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, so they believed that when you stepped into a temple, you were in earth and heaven space at the exact same time. Now this was really important to them because these, were, these temples were sacred spaces where when you stepped into heaven space, you could engage with God's presence, right? This is where you could really engage with God and really have access to him. Okay, so I want to I just really quickly, too, as we kind of look at what a temple is, this last part of this, 
of this is we're going to look at some of the hallmarks of a biblical temple. Okay, so we already talked about there, the overlap of heaven and earth. But every time in the Bible, when we see a temple in the Bible, um, we also see um, when it's like a real temple that God, God chooses, that he, his spirit descends on it in a tangible way. Let me read you the verse of what happened when we already referenced Solomon's temple. Okay, I want to read you what happened when Solomon did dedicate it. This is what it says happened. When Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence filled it. So a literal tangible cloud filled the temple space. And people were like, oh my gosh, I can see that God's actual spirit is dwelling in here. It was an incredible moment. And there are two more hallmarks that I want to bring bring forward today. Uh, God's presence dwells among his people, okay, in in temples. And we've already talked a lot about this this morning, and I'm going to get ahead of myself a little bit. But the idea that God loves you, and he wants a relationship with you, and he wants to be with you, and he's never going to give up on you, is going to come through so strong as we look at this today. Because God never gives up on his people. He always wants to be with us. And he makes a way for us to have access to him. And that's the last thing about temples is that there are places where people can access God. Okay, so boom, part one, done. Like we're already done. Um, Check that off. There is not going to be a test at the end of service, so you don't have to worry about it. Um, But if there was, I'm sure you'd be ready for it, okay? So now I want to take just a couple minutes, if that's okay with you, and look at some of the biblical temples that we see. And there are six temples in the Bible, okay, that that are official temples that God's Spirit comes down and dwells in, and it's, um, it's awesome, okay? And I'm, I'm going to ask you a trick question here, okay? So here's my, I'm going to ask you, I'm warning you it's a trick question. And I'm going to give you one of the, I'll uh, give you a hint. The correct answer to this question is not the tabernacle, okay? So if you are a, a somebody who studied the Bible or things like that, does anybody know what the first temple in the Bible is? It's not the tabernacle. Anyone? The Garden of Eden. There it is. It's on the screen. So there we go. We helped you out, right? Okay? So... Um, the, the first temple in the Bible that we see is actually the Garden of Eden. Now, this is really, really important, okay? Because this kind of sets the foundation for the rest, of the rest of the ideas of today and the idea of a temple in the Bible. But the very first temple that we see is, is Garden of Eden, right? Um, let's read what happens when God uh, starts the, the Garden of Eden. So in the very beginning of the world, God makes the world, and he creates the Garden of Eden, and he puts the first man and the first woman in the garden. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Then the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, the next verses they're going to put on the screen, it talks about a bunch of rivers and precious jewels, okay, that were in the region around that. And I'll talk about that in just a second. Let's go to the next slide. In verse 15, it said, The Lord placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Now, I want to pause right here because if you and I are reading this, we're like, oh, it's a garden. It's like a nice little garden that you could walk through, and it's great. 
if you were an ancient person that lived in the Middle East, you would just be seeing these bright neon flashing signs that say, temple, 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 like all over the place in this passage. And the reason for that is that think about Middle Eastern, like, topography. Like, it's not a lush place. It's very dry. It's very rocky. It's very arid. But when, but when uh, they would make temples in that area, they would plant gardens next to the temple, actually on the temple grounds, as a sign that the God of that temple was able to bring life and prosperity to the people that worshipped him. Okay, so right off the bat, God plants this, plants this garden to show, I'm a God of life, I'm a God of prosperity, I'm a God of love. And then he says this, that they tend and watch over it. Those words are used in the Bible like four or five times, um, and every single time that exact phrase is used, it is used to talk about priests that were working inside temples. So right now they're giving you hints. They're saying this is a temple. This is a place where heaven and earth overlap, where God can access his, or, uh, God can access his people and, and live with them. Let's, let's read the rest of this. But the Lord God warned him, warned the man, said you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord said, I, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So God creates woman and God puts her in the garden and man and woman serve together as priests in the first temple of the Lord, which is the Garden of Eden. And then I just want to bring this uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. The next, the next chapter, it says this, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. Okay. So all that to say this, Eden is the perfect temple. It's the place where heaven and earth overlap, where people had full access to God, where God in his spirit dwelt with his people. It was paradise. It was incredible. It was this amazing place. And of course we know that humans mess everything up. But I, I want to pause here and I want to bring a truth to the truth out, I want to stop, like, pause from looking at the temple. I want to bring a truth forward here today is this, is that God loves and wants to dwell with his people. You see, what this story and what the rest of the Bible shows us is that God desperately loves his people and he wants to dwell with them. Notice that the very first thing that God did with people wasn't to give us a list of rules to follow. He, he had one little rule. He said, don't eat out of this tree, right? And like, like all of our kids would do, the first thing Adam and Eve do is go and eat from that tree, right? But, but he, had one, he had one rule. That was it. So God didn't come in and say, hey, here's this list of rules. God didn't come in and say, hey, here's all these things that I need you to do in order to be good enough for me. God didn't come in demanding Instead, he set up a sacred spot where people could really have relationship with him. That was the first thing God did, right? He walked in and said, I want to know you. And that is still his desire today. If you're sitting in this room, God loves you, and he wants to have relationship with you. And what we're going to see is that humans, we, we messed it up right from the beginning, Right? We messed it up right from the beginning. We, Adam and Eve sin, and, and they, they have to leave the temple. 
of the Garden of Eden because they sinned, right? But God doesn't give up then. It's not like he saw their one sin and was like, that's it, I'm done. No, the rest of the Bible is the story of how God is saying, no matter what sins you do, no matter how many times you turn your back on me, I'm still going to draw you. I'm still going to pull you back. I still love and care about you. And if you just turn back to me, that's where you'll find the life and the hope and, and like the, just the paradise that you were created for, which is life with God. So today you might be sitting here thinking, oh, Pastor Tyler, you don't know all the bad things I've done. You don't know God doesn't want to be with me. Yes, he does. You are valuable to him. He loves you so much that he, he made a way for you to be with him because of what Jesus did. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again. And God is drawing you to him and saying, I want to have a relationship with you. And for those of us that have walked with God for a long time, God's drawing you and saying, I want to have a deeper relationship with you. I'm not, I'm not just, I'm not good with it just stopping here. God wants to continue to have us grow. God loves and he wants to dwell with his people. And that's what, that's what the Garden of Eden really shows us. But let's, okay, let's go, let's fast forward. We're going to just briefly touch on the rest of them and then we're going to bring it, bring this thing home. Okay, so what happens is Adam and Eve sin. Right? And no longer, now they're no longer worthy to be in the temple on their own. So God has to remove them. He removes them from the Garden of Eden. And, but God doesn't give up on people. So we're going to fast forward, you know, a, a little bit in the Bible to the time of Moses. When God, God chooses Israel as his chosen people, and he sets Moses as the leader, and God says this. He says, I want to create another space for my people to engage with me. Right? And in the Old Testament, we see two more temples. We see the tabernacle and Solomon's temple. Okay? And I want to read to you really quick just the heart of God as he sets these places into motion. He didn't build these so that he could have these fancy structures where people could do these fancy things to be good enough for him. Listen to what it says in Exodus 25 when God is giving Moses the instructions for how to build these sacred spaces. He says this, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. I will meet with you and talk, or meet with you there and talk to you from the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the Ark of the Covenant. From there, I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. So people have sinned, but God says, I'm not done with you yet. I want to keep creating spaces where you can access me. And I have a picture up here of the tabernacle. So the tabernacle was a, was a tent structure that was a, um, because at that time Israel was a nomadic people. So they were moving around and they had to be able to set it up and tear it down. And they believed, just like, uh, like we talked about, when you step onto the temple grounds, you were stepping into God's space and you could access him. But they had a sin problem. And then you see that box right in the middle at the front. Go back one, one more thing. Uh, one more. Yep, that box in the middle right there. That is where they would give sacrifices so that they could be cleansed of their sins and they could engage with God's presence. In the, now you can go to the next slide. Inside there, there's the holy place and there was the holy of holies, which is where God's spirit literally dwelt among us. There was a cloud that, the Bible says there was a cloud that rested there. 
And inside the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, um, which was a symbol of God's presence on earth. And that's where God's presence would dwell. It's, it, it's incredible. It, it'd be an amazing to go visit that, that spot and see what was happening. Later, when Israel settled the land, uh, they built a permanent structure. Solomon built a permanent temple. It's got the same layout as the tabernacle. We're not going to get into all of that. If you want to talk about the symbolism of those things, um, we can talk about that later. But that's not, you're like, please, Pastor Tyler, don't put me to sleep. We got this. Okay. So after this, Israel sins again. They fill this temple with idols. They rebel against God. And God has to send them into exile. And he does. And this temple gets destroyed. And then God changes his strategy. He says, you know what? I'm going to dwell with my people in fullness. And the next temple that we see in the Bible is Jesus himself. Jesus himself. Jesus come, God himself comes down in the form of Jesus and he says, I am going to dwell with my people. I'm going to be the overlap of heaven and earth. I'm going to give people access to me. Listen to what it says in John chapter 1. It says, so the word became human and made his home among us. That word there is a Greek word that's called skianu. Okay, and skianu literally means this. He tabernacled among us. Okay, so rather than, rather than having a space that you had to go to to visit so that you could engage with God's presence, God came down himself and said, I'm going to, not, I'm not going to make a temple, I'm going to be a temple, and I'm going to go around. And Jesus went around offering hope and healing and life, and he brought heaven everywhere that he went. And it was this incredible picture of what it's like when God steps down and lives with his people. And then Jesus, in all of his perfection, died on the cross, and he rose again so that he could wipe out our sins and that we could walk into the temple space of having relationship with God in fullness. I don't have to offer a sacrifice now because Jesus was the sacrifice for me. And then it's crazy. And then we'll go to the temple number six, which is in, um, is, uh, sorry, I jumped a couple slides on you guys in the back. I'm sorry. Temple number six is this. It's the new Jerusalem at the end, at the end of time. Listen to the hope of what we, what we have to look forward to. In Revelation chapter 21, it says this. This is the end of this. So like we started in the beginning. Here's the end of scripture. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eye, and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things will be gone forever. And then it says in verse 22, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need for sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. Man, what a beautiful picture, right, of the way that it started with people having full access to God and the way that it's going to end with all of us spending our, our lives with Jesus for all eternity and experiencing the beauty of relationship with him. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. Now, if you're really astute or you're a note taker, you're super annoyed at me right now because I skipped number five, right? 
How many of you are like, I'm annoyed with you a little bit right now? Okay, cool. That's because this is the application point. Okay, we made it through the first two parts. Here we go. We're going to bring it home. Temple number five is Christians. Okay? So everything we've talked about today, the overlap of heaven and earth, God's spirit descending upon us, God dwelling with his people, right? People having access to God at the temple. That is Christians. If you follow and have accepted Jesus into your heart, you are a walking, talking, living, breathing temple. Listen to what it says in Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. It says, don't you know that your bodies are a temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Now, I don't know about you, but every time that, like, I hear people, or not every time, most of the time I hear people talk about that verse, they're talking about, like, physical health. They're like, man, don't you know your body is a temple? Like, got to take care of my temple today. Better not eat McDonald's because I got to take care of my temple, Right? You know, that maybe there's some people that work out there like, yeah, I'm a temple. No, um, not me. Um, I don't do that. I've, you can tell I haven't worked out a day in my life. Um, but when we read that, like health is, physical health is a, obviously a small part of that. But it's so much more truth. Like we're, we are walking, talking gardens of Eden. We, are, we have this mind-blowing truth that, that God is. In his spirit lives in us. Okay, I gotta keep I gotta keep going. Okay. First Corinthians 3:16 says, Do you not realize that all of you together are the temple of God? So not only are each and every one of us a temple, but when we come together, it like we do for church, like we've done right now, God's spirit descends in a special way and he moves among us and he brings hope and he brings healing. Ephesians 2:20 uh yeah, 2.20 and 21 says this, Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Listen, so here, let me put this up. The hallmarks of Christ followers. When we accept Jesus, God's spirit descends on us in a tangible way. The Bible teaches us that when we accept Jesus, God's spirit comes and resides in us. He dwells among his people by living inside us. We are the overlap of heaven and earth, and we are the way that people can experience and access God. It's an incredible, incredible truth. And I want to invite the worship team to, to come forward today as we kind of bring this home. I have three, three final things I want to say. Number one is this, is that God loves you and he wants to dwell with you. Like, do you recognize this, that God, God sent his own son because he loved you so much that even though we were marred with sin, God wanted to create a space where heaven and earth could overlap and where he could engage and have relationship with us. He sent Jesus to die and rise again. God loves you. God loves you. Yeah, it says in Romans 5, 5, 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And then in verse 11, it says, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new friendship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us a friend of God. Man, if you're in here today and you're like, my story is filled with filth and sin and mistakes 
God loved you so much that he created a way for you and him to dwell together and have relationship. That's powerful. And all we have to do, the Bible says, is to say, Jesus, I accept the gift that you've given me and I give my life to you. And in a minute, we're gonna give you that opportunity. But point number two today is this, is that God's spirit lives in you. Think about that for a second. The same spirit that like, that walked and, and, and talked in the Garden of Eden, the same God that descended in a holy cloud on the Holy of Holies, like lives in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Listen to what it says in Romans 8, 11. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living in you. Like as cool as it would be to visit the Holy of Holies, that would actually be a downgrade to what you and I experience by having Christ in our hearts and the fullness of God in us. And, and for me, that stands out in two ways. It stands out in power and in goodness, right? Like we have the power of God's spirit in us all the time. We don't have to, it's like Pastor Corey talked about last week. We don't have to walk in defeat. You don't have to walk in defeat. The, the same power that, that breathed out and said, let there be light dwells in us through Jesus. That's amazing. But also on the other side in Galatians 5, and 23, it says this, but the fruit, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. What is he saying? He's saying that because the Spirit of God is in us, we have access to the full gamut of the goodness of God. And not only do we have access to it, but it grows in us. As God's Spirit moves in us, as we, He develops us and grows these things in us. Man, I just, I feel that so powerfully. There's somebody, there's some Christians in this room that you have forgotten the truth that you are a temple of the living God. Everywhere that you go, you have God's spirit in you and you have 100% access to him. And the final thing is this, is you are a bridge between heaven and earth. Jesus modeled this for us when he came he became a temple, a walking, talking, living, breathing temple. And everywhere that he went, he brought heaven with him. That's a challenging thought to me. Everywhere I go, do I bring heaven with me? Because this world is a dark place. And there's a, there's a lot of darkness and there's a lot of people that are floundering in the darkness of our world. But we have the light of Jesus in us and everywhere we step, because we have God's spirit in us, we can bring God's spirit to that place. You're walking, you are walking, talking sacred space. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter five. He says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Let your good deeds shine out so that people will see God in you and be drawn to him. 
you might be the only chance, the only overlap of heaven that somebody in your life um, can experience. Man, we have so much power to bring heaven, bring the hope and the life and the restoration and the healing of Jesus with us everywhere we go. And I hope that today that this idea challenges you to rise to, to, rise to that and say, God, I want to bridge heaven everywhere that I go. And maybe you're here today. And as I've been speaking, as you've heard the stories of the people being baptized, you realize that you've never opened up your heart to God. We want to give you that opportunity this morning. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We don't have access to him, but because of Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again, we have the opportunity to ask Jesus to come into our life and give our lives to him, and then we can fully access God in everything we've talked about this morning. So today, there might be some of you that, that you, you wanna take that opportunity for the first time, or maybe you, a long time ago you did, but you know you're not living for Jesus, and you wanna give that opportunity back to him. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, just as a moment of privacy between them and God. If that's you this morning, and you say, I wanna ask Jesus into my heart, or I wanna rededicate my life to Jesus, I just say, just would you just slip up your hand really quick and put it back down? Yes, thank you. Anyone here this morning? Fantastic. Yes. Awesome. I'm just gonna pray with us, or with you today. And these aren't magical, magical words, but they're an opportunity um, for you just to say, God, I want you in, in my life. And it, the words don't matter as much as you meaning it in your heart and saying, God, I want more of you. Let's have everybody pray together um, as, we, as we close the service. Say, dear Jesus, I want to know you. I know I've made mistakes and I'm sorry for those, but I believe that you died and rose again for my sins. And from now on, I want to live for you. So I ask you to come into my heart, and I'm going to live for you from now on. In your name, amen. Amen. Let's clap for the people that made that decision this morning. Amen.